Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. On today's episode, we have President Garvey. President Garvey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. It's nice to be here. Nice to join you and to see you again. Absolutely. And you are currently the president of Catholic University, and uh, you're trying to help lead the university through all of this craziness with COVID. Uh, how has the university's response been so far? I think it's been really wonderful. I, uh, uh, we've set a new standard for, for what counts as wonderful. It would be most wonderful if everybody could join us back on campus for live classes. Um, but as it is, we've invited the freshmen uh, to live on campus and other classes, sophomores, juniors, seniors, and most of our graduate students are taking their classes virtually. So uh, that part is certainly suboptimal. Um, the freshmen having arrived from a number of different states around the country uh, are all quarantining for two weeks. So although today's the first day of class, even the freshmen are taking their classes virtually today. So we're all doing business in, in this way, but it's, um, Gosh, we've had to make an immense number of changes to uh, to make this way of doing business possible. I'm sure. So walk me through uh, what the response has been in D.C. as far as what universities are allowed to do and then the decision to only bring back freshmen. Well, uh, our, our um, discussions with the District of Columbia have been two-way conversations. Uh, they asked us to submit a plan for uh, what we intended to do, and then they themselves made recommendations for how we ought to how we ought to do things. Um, in some cases, requirements. For example, the district has said that people coming from 29 states, which are hotspots in the country now, uh, when they arrive in the district, should quarantine for two weeks. So that obviously affects a number of our students coming from around the country. But sure. the district approved our own plan, which was something that we formulated ourselves up until. Up until the very end of July, we hoped that we would be able to bring everybody back um, and to conduct our classes in a kind of hybrid fashion. You know, uh, some people in the classroom, those who were uh, not present or didn't feel comfortable with joining on in person could um, attend class um, screen like this. We spent, gosh, about $10 million, uh, much of it upgrading the classrooms, putting in audio, visual equipment, and so on. So the plan was um, to provide uh, single rooms for nearly all of the students who were on campus, those who weren't in suites, so that people had individual bathrooms and individual spaces, and we'd be able to contain the spread of the virus. By the end of July, it became apparent to us that although everybody wanted to open and we were holding out hope for that as long as possible, uh, by the end of July, the um, the virus had spiked over where it was in June. You know, we saw a different slope in June than we did in July. Sure. And, uh, what we were concerned about was that uh, having 1,700 people living on campus would just create a situation where we would have too many positive cases and too many isolating, too many quarantining cases by context to be able to manage the number of people left in their rooms. So we... We dialed it back at that point and said, we'll admit freshmen on campus, but otherwise not. That, um, as it happens, is probably more open than any of the other schools in the district. Uh, Trinity's got kids coming back, but we've got more among our freshmen than, than Trinity's got living there. So so we're kind of an experiment. Um, 
and I hope it's something we can make work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's also true is trying to figure out what to do and, and being in the position where you directly have to make decisions that that could ultimately be life and death situations is, is not an easy place to be in. So how have you handled that and, and dealt with the stress of that? Well, you know, uh, we have a really wonderful team, particularly in student affairs, which has been on the front line of this. Uh, our uh, student health center comes under student affairs and student affairs deals with housing and residence life and and interfaces with academic affairs. So those two uh, sectors of the university have had to make all of the difficult recommendations and um, for, for proceeding with this. And I have to say they've done a wonderful job uh, making the campus safe for our employees, for our faculty, for the students who are returning required a lot of modifications, not just in where people were gonna live, but in the kind of personal protective equipment we provided the kind of uh, shields that we put up at places where there was a public interface in the in the work schedules that we've set for people. Uh, uh, so not to, to reduce the number of people on campus, there's much more working from home and um, on almost everybody's part. So um, this office where I where I work here um, is a much emptier place than it ordinarily is. And uh, anyway, I just think we have a terrific team in student affairs and in the provost's office who've been managing the transition. I, I'm, I omitted a mention of the people in uh, in the administration, in, in um, finance, in HR, and, uh, and uh, the university architect, and other people like that who, uh, who've been handling the, um, who've been doing all the work to make the campus safe and who have been. Sure. Um, so, I think the short answer is we have a really good team working on it. That's great. And so to switch gears a little bit, tell me about how you were selected to lead the university and, and how your experience has been so far. Well, I've been the president for 10 years now. And um, uh, as for how I was selected, I, I um, there was a, uh, the board of trustees um, formed a search committee and um, I, at the time, had been uh, for about 11 years the dean of the law school at Boston College, and I was very happy in my job. I love being a lawyer. I love dealing with legal academics. I'm, I'm a Boston sports fan. I, I haven't been able <laughs> even yet to switch my allegiances to the Nationals or, or the team formerly known as the Redskins. Or uh, you know, <laughs> I love the Red Sox. I love the Patriots. I, I've loved the Celtics since I was a boy. So. Uh, so I was I was happy. Um, I think that the uh, the search committee at first had a preference for finding a, a priest as the as the uh, president, and that's a decision that I uh, myself happened to agree with. I, um, they obviously uh, were having a hard time finding the right <laughs> the right person, and um, in uh, maybe um, uh, February of the year. 2010, I was in London at the home of uh, one of my daughters. Uh, Jeannie and I were there visiting, and I had my cell phone in my pocket, and it my cell phone rang, and it was the chairman of the board at that time, Archbishop Vigneron, uh, to say, would I come and talk to the search committee about being president of Catholic University? And I, uh, so I excused myself and went into the other room. We talked for about half an hour, and um, <laughs> You know, I wasn't 
I wasn't looking to move from my uh, from my old job, which as I said, I loved. Um, uh, but more out of politeness than anything else, I said I would come and talk to them. Uh, I, I did say these kind of searches are, you know, they try to keep them under wraps. Uh, in my, I, I can understand that feeling because I said to the archbishop, look, uh, I'll talk to you, but if word gets out that I'm talking to you, uh, I, I'm gone <laughs> because I don't <laughs> want my faculty thinking I want to leave them. I, I uh, right. Um, so uh, I snuck down to Washington and met, uh, you know, stayed at the Willard Hotel, and I met um, the search firm had a had a place where we could do interviews uh, next door to the Willard. Um, I uh, I didn't. Uh, um, I spent a lot of time looking at Catholic University on the computer, getting familiar with uh, what the situation was like. I'd been there two or three times, but not, uh, you know, at the, they'd been at the law school or at the John Paul II Cultural Center across the street. So I'd never really been uh, in, in on the campus or anywhere. So when I flew down for the to interview with the committee, I got up about 4.30 in the morning. I went outside to the front of the Willard. There's a cab stand out there. And I got in a cab and I said, can I hire you for an hour? And uh, he said, sure. Uh, where do you want to go? And I said, well, uh, take me out to Catholic University. And he said, are you going to be the new president? <laughs> <laughs> he just immediately knew. He's like, you he, know what? He's got uh, the look. He was from the neighborhood. Um, he knew they were looking. Um, so I lied. <laughs> I said, no, I had a kid <laughs> who was thinking about it. So he drove me around. We, uh, we found our way around university and looked around. Um, by the time we got to the end of the process, uh, I loved the people on the search committee. I loved uh, what I learned about the university. And I, you know, uh, by the end of the process, I, I was really hoping that they would offer me the job because I, it looked like something that I would love to do and thought I might uh, be of some help at. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was not nearly as diffident at the end of the process as I was at the beginning. Sure. So it sounds like you kind of went into it very unsure about what you really wanted to do, if this was going to be the right move for you. But you know what? I'll give it a try. Let me go out to the campus. Let me see what it's like. And and you ended up falling in love with the school and the people there. I think that's accurate. It, uh, it took a little time to get acquainted with the idea. I, I say that because I was perfectly happy where I was and I wasn't looking for um, to make a move. I thought, you know, I'll uh, I don't. I don't have a sort of freestanding ambition to be a university president. I, if um, if this were a Catholic university, as its name suggested, and uh, if it were something that I might be uh, helpful at and uh, and enjoy as much as I love being a law school dean, then I might think about it. And that's the conclusion I came to in the end. Sure. So what makes Catholic University different and, and stand out, um, you know, besides the other universities that might be in the same area? What, what makes Catholic University really special? Well, uh, as the name suggests, there's something uh, singular and unique about the Catholic University of America. That's actually the corporate name. As it happens, we're the only uh, Catholic University in the United States that has its charter from the Vatican. Most of the Catholic universities in America, and there are a couple of hundred of them, 
were begun by religious orders, the Jesuits, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Ursulines, the um, other religious sisters. Uh, there are some that were um, begun by dioceses themselves. I think Seton Hall began this way. St. Thomas in Minneapolis began this way. Um, uh, but uh, we're, we're unique. We were formed as a graduate school in the latter part of the 19th century. What um, used to be that Baltimore was the first see in the United States and all the Catholic bishops would meet in Baltimore. They met before the Civil War there. They met right after the war. And they said, you know, we ought to start a university. And then uh, they met in the 1880s um, in Baltimore and actually got serious about founding their own university so that priests they were thinking of uh, wouldn't have to begin their, you know, they, they would have gotten their sort of college education in the seminary, but if they wanted higher education, I mean, graduate degrees, they would have had to go to the Gregorian University in Rome or the Angelicum or, or to Louvain in Belgium. There was nothing in America like that. In fact, American universities were all just colleges. They, they didn't have graduate programs. Um, Johns Hopkins begun 10 years before us was a, a different sort of experiment. It was a graduate school and that was the that was the notion that we had in mind in in beginning, um, and to this day we give um, uh, we have ecclesiastical faculties that give special kinds of degrees in philosophy and theology and canon law, and we have a special relationship to the Vatican. Um, my appointment has to be approved by the Congregation for by the Vatican, the Congregation for Catholic Education in particular. So when I when the Board of Trustees expressed a desire to name me as president, um, Cardinal O'Malley and uh, and probably Cardinal Whirl, uh, as it was, uh, had to take that recommendation to Rome and uh, get it past the, the congregation. Um, uh, so those, and those faculties that we have give particular degrees that enable people to teach in in seminaries or at ecclesiastical universities like our own. Um, uh, and we have a kind of constitutional structure that uh, uh, is different from other universities. We're legally or technically uh, owned by, I mean, the successors in interest of the, of the bishops who formed the university are the university fellows and they include all of the cardinal archbishops in the United States and a handful of other bishops and archbishops. Uh, plus me and the chairman of the board and a couple of lay members. Um, uh, then there's a board of trustees uh, that's principally lay people who who do the business of governing the university from, uh, you know, the sort of annual or uh, quarterly governance of the university happens there. Um, we have a special relationship to the uh, to the bishops' conference right across the street. Um, and we take seriously, we take very seriously our commitment to, um, to the mission of uh, the Catholic Church, not just in our ecclesiastical faculties, but in arts and sciences, in, uh, in music and drama and art, in uh, nursing, in law and elsewhere. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a unique kind of place. Um, it's also unique in being located in Washington, D.C. Uh, when the bishops resolved to create a university, they thought we want the university to be 
in the capital of the nation where we can uh, contribute to the to the thoughts of the culture and the government of the culture and uh, sure. so our our location straight up the street straight up north capitol street from the capital of the united states is you know the location in the most important city in the world is something that makes us unique as well yeah absolutely and so i think my biggest thing when I went to Catholic University, uh, when I would talk to people about the university, was you know the fact that it is in D.C., the fact that we have such beautiful green space. But the biggest reaction I always got was, oh, so everyone there is Catholic. And I think that that misconception was really interesting to me because a lot of my classmates had you know a wide diversity of different religions and different aspects to their own cultures. So... Um, you know, to someone who might say that Catholic University is just for Catholic people, what would you, be your response to that? Well, it's certainly not. It's not true of our administration. It's not true of our deans. It's not true of our faculty. And it's not true of our students. So uh, we welcome people from, uh, from all faiths. Uh, what we have to offer them, uh, the, the intellectual culture is informed uh, by by its Catholic connection in ways that other intellectual cultures are not, but it's something, it's a conversation and a set of activities that we invite everybody to. Uh, and I have to say that what draws our students is uh, a wide variety of virtues that the university has. Not, uh, you know, it, it obviously has its Catholic connection, but its location in the District of Columbia is uh, something very attractive to a lot of people. The campus is something that appeals to young people. Um, when they come here, they're much more likely to matriculate here than if they don't come and visit us. Um, right. I have to say that in the present culture, um, having Division Three sports is something that uh, that I really rejoice at. Uh, I uh, will have in any given year, a third of our entering freshmen will be varsity athletes. And uh, it's, a, it's a different athletic culture than you'll see at schools that belong to the ACC or the Big Ten or, uh, or the Pac-10, um, you know, those schools are determined open because everything depends on their having a football season or everything depends on their right. having a basketball season. And all the activities at the university revolve around attendance at those sporting events. Um, I often say that the difference between us and them is our students play sports. The students at those schools watch sports, but... Um, uh, <laughs> And and they're 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 dealing with this COVID crisis in an entirely different way. You know, they they depend on the hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue generated by those sports to support the rest of their activities. Um, not so with us. Sure, I've heard too. Um, I I want to go back to the sports thing because I think that's really important. Um, when people hear Division Three, oftentimes they're like, okay, well, it's not one of the Big Ten. It's not a school that I would consider going to for sports. But I think that that's a unique um, aspect of Catholic University that, that makes it great because there is an emphasis on sports, but it isn't everything that we do. Some of these other schools I've heard termed as, you know, it's a football program that as a side hustle they teach as well. And I think at Catholic, what you're getting is your education first, but also a, a real enthusiasm around sports because it's not mandatory for the success and the survival of the university. It's something that we can do for fun and do that on the side instead of making that first priority. 
I think that's true. And I also think that it's one of the things that I have concluded after uh, watching 10 years worth of games in our in our more than two dozen varsity sports is um, the level of skill among our athletes is really high. It's it's really fun to watch our athletes um, perform and play. The difference between them and Division One is more uh, size and athleticism rather than skill. But the the games are every bit as much as much fun to watch. But I think for our students, it's playing them that's uh, that's more important. That's what matters to them. Students will uh, will choose to come here because they'll get to play here. Whereas if they're good enough athletes to make a Division One team, they may not be good enough to be starters, and they'd rather play the game than watch it from the bench. So, yeah, I. Um, I, I, I love our athletic programs. Uh, I know that they're what draw a lot of our, a lot of our students here. And I'm, and I'm glad that so many of them get a chance to perform. Yeah, absolutely. And so kind of in that same vein, is that your favorite part about leading the university or, or what is that favorite part of yours that, you know, you get out of bed in the morning and you're on campus and you're like, this is my favorite part about being president. You know, there's a lot I love about, about my job. One of the things that I love best about my job is um, in the spring, I teach a class to freshmen in the honors program. And uh, it's a Monday, Friday class, a three credit course, and it'll be limited to 25 students. But I have to say, it's just a, it's such a pleasure for me to, to do that, to get to know that group of students whom I then know for all four years of their college experience. I, when I first came, I, uh, so I'm a lawyer by, by training, obviously. I, I used to be a law school professor, and I, I have not to date uh, taught at the law school. I, I, in part, I haven't wanted the, the dean at the law school to think I'm looking over her or his shoulder uh, <laughs> watching things. So I, I've just been a, a bit player. I, for a while, I taught a course in the politics department, and it was about what I knew about constitutional law. Uh, so uh, it would tend to be taught to seniors who needed to take some um, courses in preparation for doing this. And I've always taught it in the spring. I can't teach both semesters because at least uh, in pre-COVID times, my travel schedule didn't permit it because I, I have to stay, I have to be here on Mondays and Fridays for my class in the spring. I don't want the students thinking they got gypped by getting the president for a professor and he's never around. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, in fact, one of the things I've often thought of is I went to college at, at Notre Dame and our president, uh, Father Hesburgh, was a graduate of Catholic University. He was, he oh, was wow. a, great, a great president. But the students at Notre Dame used to say about Father Hesburgh, um, what's the difference between God and Father Hesburgh? Uh, and the answer was, uh, God is everywhere, but Father Hesburgh is everywhere but Notre Dame. I, I, I don't want to be that <laughs> sort of didn't want to be that sort of president. So I teach it in the spring. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but when I taught um, in the politics department, my students who were second semester seniors would graduate and then I wouldn't know anybody uh, the next year. This way I teach uh, uh, freshmen their first year and I know them for all four years and you know see them often and many end up working in our office or having some other relationship. So. Uh, but it's also just fun to do. I, I love the subject matter. I love the intelligence and enthusiasm of the students in the class. And it's a 
Churchill used to say during the Second World War, uh, you know, he would take time off to paint or to write the history of the Second World War, which he was doing while it was going on. But he used to say that a, a change is as good as a rest. And uh, so he had all this work to do, but uh, he took time off to paint or do something else. I, I feel that way about teaching my class. You know, it takes, probably takes, oh, I don't know, probably 12, 15 hours um, out of each week um, in addition to what I might be doing. But it's something that I really enjoy very much. That's awesome. So tell me about being, uh, I guess what I would term an approachable president. For me, at least when I was attending Catholic University, it seemed like you were at a lot of events. You were there with your wife and also your adorable dog. Um, and it just always felt like, okay, I know who's in charge. I know who's leading the university. And if I want to, I can go up and have a conversation with them. Is that something that you kind of created on purpose or is it just who you are? You know, uh, uh, when I interviewed about the job, the search committee asked me, well, where do you think you will live? Because some of our presidents have lived in Chevy Chase or wherever. Some have lived on campus. Uh, and my predecessor, Father O'Connell, lived right here in the same building where, where I am. And Gene uh, and I both thought that we wanted to live on the campus because it was near the students. As it, we had just reached the point in our lives where our youngest daughter she was she was still in college, but you know our, our kids had moved out of the house, and it was getting kind of lonesome in the in the house. So we thought it would be nice to be to be living here uh, on campus with the students. And um, I have to say, I, I um, it's been really nice to be able to walk around and uh, get to know students, to have uh, lunch or dinner at the Priz with with students, to go to their uh, sporting events or or theater performances or music recitals or, or whatever. It's just, um, we really, we both really like that. I, um, I, uh, I love being here. I, um, so yeah, no, I think it's, I think that's, that's who we are. We, we have a bunch of kids. We have a bunch of grandchildren. Um, we like having young people around. Yeah, that's great. So with COVID, how does that change and, and how do you continue to be that approachable president, that guy that people can can talk to if they're having an issue or, you know, want to know what's next for the university while having to remain, you know, at least six feet apart. Yeah, it really stinks. <laughs> I have to say <laughs> it's been yeah. it's been awful. I know it's awful for the students. It's awful for us. It just feels so alienating and uh, and. Um, lonesome that uh, communication takes place this way, you know, this is a, um, and one of the things that I've found about communicating this way is, <clears throat> well, actually several things about communicating this. One is, um, one is in some ways it's preferable to talk to people like this, <laughs> where you can't really, <laughs> you can't hear them and you can't, you can't see them. It's harder to recognize faces, you know, if, it, if you only sure. see the eyes and, uh, there's that. It's harder to make yourself understood, and of course, you can't gather in groups. And uh, it's uh, whereas at least uh, on Zoom you can see one another face to face, but it's not the same. Um, uh, it's also <clears throat> I found that uh, in my communications with uh, faculty and staff, in particular, um, there aren't the same ripple effects from. Zoom or Google communications as there are 
from in-person communications because you know I'll say something to a group of people on Zoom, and uh, it'll end there. You, you know because the people who are on the call won't then go and have lunch or coffee or uh, visit down the hall or, or uh, with other people because they're all at home or uh, a few of them in their offices. Uh, so there aren't, you know, things that I say don't uh, get passed on from one person to another. They just stop right there. So the, the, the net effect of communications is less, even if there are more individual meetings, that's a, that's a problem. Um, sure. It's also a problem, you know, like last night we had a opening mass for the university, um, not the mass of the Holy spirit, but you know, the first mass in St. Vincent's cause everybody was back and, and, that was really weird. I don't know if you, uh, uh, so St. Vincent's will hold a number of hundreds of people in the ordinary case, but all the, all sure. the chairs are out and there were about a dozen people there, you know, Jeannie and I, and, uh, <laughs> and Father Jude and, uh, a few people from campus ministry and, and, uh, Judy Biggs Garbullo, the new vice president for student affairs and her husband. And, and, and that was about it. And then otherwise we saw people on the screen, Jeannie was saying, yeah, I kind of hate the singing for <laughs> this work. It's, just not, it's not working for me, and and not getting to see the, to be with the students was, uh, yeah, it's same thing with meals. You know, I mean, it's nice to go to the prison, have lunch or dinner with students, but we can't do that. We've set these tents up uh, by O'Connell Hall and the McMahon parking lot over by Opus and by the Dufour Center, and and we put in uh, heat and air conditioning and Wi-Fi and, you know, made them, but uh, it's because we got to hand people their lunch or dinner in a box, you know, here's, here's, your, right. here's your meal. Kind of like being in the army, you know, meals ready to eat. It's, uh, <laughs> um, sure. It's, uh, it's really, it's really hard. You know, I, I um, so I, uh, after the opening mass here, I went over to Theological College and did a second kind of opening there and was speaking to some of the seminarians there. One of them was telling me that um, he wasn't sure what, uh, whether this was during the time of the Spanish flu or some of the later flus a, a decade or two later, but that there was there have been times in the past when people all wore masks, you know, for a period of a year or two years at a time till the flu got through the, through the system. I, um, yeah. This, this may not be our first experience with doing it, but it's certainly for, for us, it's, I, I don't remember anything like this in my lifetime. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like most people are going through something now that, I mean, you would read about in history books and they will read about in history books. And, and especially this year too, 2020 is, is kind of like a year that's going to live in infamy. Um, yeah. Just it's, you know, it's, there's been a lot of struggles this year. Um, but, you know, we're also bringing a lot of things back, like you said, with the masks. Um, I was reading an article yesterday about uh, the wine windows in Italy. Have you have you heard of those wine no. windows? No. So so, yeah, it's it's basically a window. It's it's exactly as it sounds uh, in the structure of a building in Italy. And they, they were all over the place. And essentially, because Italians love wine, I'm Italian. Uh, what you could do is you could go up and you just, you know, slide your money in and then through the window comes this hand with a glass of wine for you and you're set. So, you know, if, if Catholic University would like to implement something like that, I think that could be a huge help. 
Yeah, we could put up a wine window. You know, I, I <laughs> so I, I had the virus back in March. I was uh, one of the first people on campus to uh, to get it. I gave it to my wife. I gave it to most of the people in my office before we found out what it was. Um, uh, and for me, it was uh, a really mild case of the flu. I never got a temperature. I, uh, I had a little bit of a cough. I had some of the aches that you have, uh, like when you're a when you're uh, uh, when you have the flu sure but, you know I had it not been for my concern about the public health aspects of it at the time I would have gone taken a few Tylenol and gone to work but I right but I <laughs> dutifully uh, quarantined and um, anyway by I, I first experienced symptoms on a Thursday by Sunday I was fine um, wow I was, except that I lost my sense of smell and it hasn't come oh, back really? yet so yeah so it I still hasn't come back it. It hasn't come back yet. No. Wow. Uh, but it all got, it got me thinking about wine. Uh, he, uh, most of, much of what you taste with food uh, is in your nose. It's not on it's your smell. tongue. You know, there are a few sensa- uh, sweet and sour, salty, bitter umami that you can taste on your tongue, but otherwise it's all in these olfactory receptors. Um, I don't think mine were very good to begin with because I can't tell one <laughs> kind of wine from another. I'm not a sophisticated right wine drinker and now you know i can't tell wine from orange juice it's it's not i mean i can tell by the cover but uh but otherwise uh, yeah it doesn't it wouldn't work for me the wine thing but sure maybe. yeah so yeah i i totally um i feel like we kind of glanced over the fact that that you did have covid um and very early on too back in march was kind of when everything started ramping up that's yeah. when um, a lot of those key decisions had to be made. So what was it like to kind of be on the front lines of of having this virus that everyone's hearing about, but but probably didn't know anybody that had and having to make decisions, um, you know, affecting the university while, you know, having it? You know, for me, it was in a way kind of reassuring. It's nice to have had it to the extent that it confers an immunity. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm less apprehensive about it than many people who haven't had it are particularly people who are my age when it hits young people it doesn't seem to have nearly this uh, the same severe effects but um yeah it's made me more comfortable with being around the situation where we're where we're dealing with it i can't say that it's given me a level of understanding of the of the virus but um you know we've had to do a lot of consultation with with our employees about how do you feel about coming back to work and uh, we've made a lot of adjustments in in the way we do allow um, those who can to work from home, and uh, it's really it's really changed the way we that we do business. We've learned some useful things. Um, uh, some of the things, you know, like uh, just aren't as good. You know, the, uh, sure. seeing people in person is really important. Being able to play sports. Like, gosh, I. Uh, for a time, I was the president of the Landmark Conference. I, I no longer am, but there's, it's run by a group of presidents in the in the conference. And we met throughout the summer about where we're going to go ahead with fall sports. And right up again until the end of July, we were determined that we were going to do it. We didn't know what form it was going to take, but we thought uh, we've got to do it. It's just so important to our students. But in the end, uh, the, the presidents all decided that. We just can't take the risk with the direction the infections are going. So, sure. And was it scary to you when you first got it to to kind of have this thing that 
that would ultimately turn into a global pandemic? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not very... Uh, I, I, I don't tend to pay a lot of attention to what my own body is telling me. You know, I usually feel pretty good when I get up in the morning. If I feel a little crappy, I'll think, well, I'll get past it. So I used to, I always tease my, well, I don't tease my kids. I tell my kids, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't remember missing a day of work in my life. I, uh, wow. I, I had, I missed one day, uh, gosh, this is five years ago or so. It was the it was the weekend we dedicated O'Connell Hall. I had a heart attack. <clears throat> and, oh wow! Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, he, remember Tim Russert used to be the uh, the host of Meet the Press. Um, had the same heart attack. It's called the Widowmaker. The the left anterior descending artery got clogged, and mine was like clogged. Uh, nice. And I had done a bunch of uh, um, alumni events that weekend. We dedicated O'Connell Hall, and then I'd gone to see a play that afternoon. And I came back to my office right here, and I was writing notes to the kids who'd been in the play because a couple of them had done a really great job. And I, and I felt right in the middle of my chest, this kind of, uh, I don't know, just like somebody sitting on it. I, and I thought, gosh, I hope this isn't what I, what I think it is. But I went up and told my wife, honey, I don't, I don't uh, I'm sure this is nothing, but I, well, let's just go check. Anyway, we got to the Washington hospital and, uh, and I was, <laughs> I was like crawling in on the, or I said, I, you know, oh, I just went around the end of the line. I said, I'm, I'm, I think I'm having a heart attack. Y'all better. Um, this was, uh, this <laughs> was a Sunday in. night. Um, so they took me into surgery. Uh, uh, they, they made a little incision right about here. It was maybe three eighths of an inch long, maybe, maybe a half an inch wide and put in two stents. And um, by Monday evening, by Tuesday morning, I was back at my desk feeling fine. Wow. And the doctor wow. said, you know, uh, this isn't your fault. Don't take it personally, but, uh, you don't, uh, you don't smoke, you don't drink much, uh, you exercise, you, you have a healthy diet. Uh, this is your grandfather's fault. <laughs> my, my father died of a heart attack. My grandfather had a heart attack. Uh, he said, yeah, you were really lucky. You, you, you should be glad that you had this because it's fixed and now you're good. And, uh, no kidding. I felt perfectly fine. Anyway, wow. so I missed one day of work, but otherwise I haven't. And I, I mean, who could who could that. blame you for missing a day of work after having a heart? No, attack? they wouldn't let me out of the hospital. So it was <laughs> <laughs> you were you were itching to come back, and they said, "No, you you should take a day off." Yeah, you. Yeah, I, uh, right. Wow. I mean, that's incredible, and and I think too, um, you know, as as a Catholic, the Catholic University, uh, being an alumni and and also a former student, uh, that means the same thing. Um, uh, you know, it's it's really good to hear, and I'm sure current students that we have a president that that is so dedicated to being at work that you know, not even a heart attack will slow you down from coming in. <laughs> well. Uh... Yeah, no, it's just because I love the university and what it does. I, uh, I've never been at an institution that has people like our students, our faculty, our our staff. It's really a joy to, to come to work here every day. Well, actually, I wake up and I am at work. I, I, live, <laughs> ten, I live eight feet away from where I am right now. <clears throat> That's awesome. I mean, and two, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but, but living on campus and being so accessible for the students is really important. 
you know, um, and I think at some larger universities, obviously it's it's not going to be the same. And, and that kind of went into my decision to come to Catholic University was that, you know, the president is on campus and it's a smaller school and you're going to get that individual attention. Um, and I think that is that's a great benefit of going to Catholic. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we've uh, we've been we've made a lot of architectural changes. We're building a new nursing school. We're building a new dining hall. We're, we, we've paused, but we're going to be building a couple new residence halls and we've got to do something with enlarging the Dufour Center. But one of the things that I <clears throat> that I can't really do but that somebody has got to do down the road is I, I want to move my office from Nugent to McMahon. Um, McMahon is in the center of things. So there's a lot of student traffic, faculty traffic, and people can just stop in the president's office here. It's kind of on the, on the fringes of the campus. And sure. uh, it just feels, you know, I'll, I, I encourage my, uh, the students that I know are people to come by the house and, uh, but it just feels a little weird being, uh, being off center as it is, but when you're the president, you, um, you can't fix up your own office. The one, the one thing you learn is <laughs> spending money on yourself is, uh, that's just not, not that's a, a good big move. no, no. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So obviously you probably didn't think about becoming the president of a university when you were a kid. What did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, uh, I thought very deeply about that. This is how I reached that conclusion. When I was in fifth grade, my mother got me a trench coat, uh, uh, you know, this, the sort that uh, lawyers wear. I think it even had a belt around it. And I remember putting it on and going to school and uh, kids should have beaten me up. You know, if, if you get a trench coat, in fifth grade, <laughs> you're likely to get pounded, but, but I didn't. And, and I thought, well, I kind of look like a, I kind of look like Barry Mason. I think I want to be a lawyer. And that's, that's how I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. Wow! Deep, it was you know? so. It was all a clothing choice, really. It was a it was a style choice, as so much is in life. But when I got to college, uh, I really loved uh, college. I love being an academic. I love reading books. I love writing papers. I love talking to people about ideas. And so I um, I thought uh, when I was in college well you know maybe this uh, being a lawyer stuff is not um uh, maybe maybe my decision on account of that trench coat was a shallow decision <laughs> <laughs> and maybe i ought to think more carefully about what i want to be <clears throat> so uh so i got a i got a fellowship to give me a phd from the danforth foundation and i thought well i'll go to grad school which which i did um Unfortunately, I wasn't very well prepared for graduate school because I, I had uh, shopped around among a lot of um, majors and departments when I was in college. So I took a lot of courses in political science and philosophy and art and French and music and math. And so I didn't know enough to, I thought maybe I want to study political theory, but I, I didn't really know as grad students should, how to direct my own path. You know, I didn't know enough about the field to know this is the person I want to study with, this is what I want to study. So I was kind of floundering and and I quit and I went to law school thinking, well, if I go to law school, they'll, they'll tell me what courses, they'll say, read this book and we'll give you a test. And I could do that. Right. Um, so I went to law school and, you know, I quit 
uh, grad school. I went to law school. Um, and then I had the great good fortune to be born at a time when, uh, when there was a population boom, you know, after the second world war, a lot of people were, a lot of, you know, my own family had eight kids born after the war. And, uh, that's how it was all around the country, particularly at Catholic universities. And, uh, so, um, colleges were growing and after that law schools were growing. And, uh, so, uh, law schools would hire almost anybody to, to teach in law school. <laughs> anyway, I did, I did um, well enough when I was in law school that I thought, well, maybe I could, maybe I could be a teacher and teach law. Wouldn't that be great? So, um, so after a few years out of uh, law school, I looked for a teaching job and I, and I, I, because of the demographic situation, I was able to find one. And uh, it turned out to be exactly what I wanted. You know, I love, I love being an academic. I love being a lawyer, and it was it was just perfect. I, uh, if I were coming out now, I'd, I'd never hire me. I don't. I'd, <laughs> so I was lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, President Garvey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks I really appreciate me. it's it. It's been delightful. You 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 do a nice job of it. So congratulations to you. I appreciate it. Yeah, hopefully we'll uh, be able to have you on in the future and. And hopefully COVID and we'll find a vaccine and our next uh, episode with you will be an update on how Catholic is bringing students back to campus. We're sure looking forward to that day. Thanks very much, Ben. Absolutely. All right. And that is going to do it for our episode today. Huge thank you to President Garvey for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed talking to him and, and kind of his career and his life and how he ended up at the Catholic University of America, which is, again, the school that I went to. So that was really awesome having him on. If you want to listen to some of our other episodes, they can be found at www.totspodcast.com. We are also on pretty much every single music or streaming site uh, at Tots Podcast and also on most social media at Totscast. So go give us a follow. If you want to check out our YouTube, that's going to be at Tots Podcast. Please give us a subscribe. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, that would mean everything to us. We have a Patreon. That's going to also be at Tots Podcast if you give us a look up. Um, you know, we would love to have some sponsors and some Patreons. So please consider supporting the podcast so that we can continue to do what we love to do. Just have really cool people like this on. Uh, we release every single week on Friday. And I hope to see you next week. <laughs>